Good morning and welcome to the Snark Factor on WAN Talk 1600 AM 92.7 FM. My name is Fingers Malloy. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Sunday morning. Sarah Smith has the week off and what we're going to do this weekend is continue um, our coverage of CPAC Dallas 2022. It was the first time we had gone down to Dallas for their CPAC and we have some interviews we're going to play for you. Uh, some really interesting stuff. We're going to begin with an interview with Dr. Jim Peterson. He has a new book called The Spirit to Soar, Inspiring Life Lessons and Values for a Victorious Life, and it documents the life of Lieutenant Colonel Barry Bridger, who is a, a Vietnam vet, a Vietnam prisoner of war. He actually uh, was a prisoner of war at the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, the book documents Lieutenant Colonel Barry Bridger's life. We had a great conversation with both of them, and I think it's something that you're going to enjoy. After that, Joe Henneman of Epic TV is joining us. They have a new documentary that's available on epictv.com, The Real Story of January 6th. He will join us after to talk about that documentary and more about where you can find it. Second half hour. Uh, we have Jeff Berman. He's the CEO of Tusk. Uh, Tusk is a new browser that uh, is designed specifically to champion free speech. There's no censorship over at Tusk. He will join us to talk about his browser, why he got into uh, the browser business, and a little bit about how big tech is censoring content on the internet and finally Bianca Gracia is joining us from Latinos for Trump and also an organization called Latinos for America First and she really has an interesting perspective on what's going on on the southern border how the mainstream media isn't covering it like it should it's an eye-opening conversation that all of us should listen to and, and take seriously because as, as we know uh, the border right now is 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 really wide open and the the corruption that, that's going on on the border particularly basically the drug cartels are are, are in charge of our southern border and uh, that conversation is something that I think you'll find interesting as well so CPAC Dallas 2022 coverage this week on the snark factor let's begin welcome back to wham talk 92.7 fm's coverage of cpac dallas 2022 i'm fingers malloy and i'm joined right now by dr jim peterson and lieutenant colonel barry bridger the new book out called the spirit to soar and we're going to find out about this book gentlemen thank you so much for joining us here today glad to be here so, Delighted. I'll start with you, Dr. Peterson. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to, to write this book. Okay, I, um, Barry and I uh, worked together in the financial services industry about 36 years ago. We worked together, and we got to be great friends. And about after I knew him for about 15 years, and I, I think it's a pretty good point about us in life, 
I really didn't know much about him. So I said, Barry, tell me your story. Well, Barry started telling me about being a POW in Vietnam. And I go, no, I know that story. Tell me about where you grew up, about your family, where you went to school. Two and a half hours later, he had me mesmerized. And I said, one day I'm going to write your biography. People need to hear what he went through in his life and how he became so happy. And so it took us a while, but we decided to collaborate. And now we have the spirit to serve. Well, really, the book is about what was around me all this time. I started in an orphanage. And then I was one of the younger kids, three, three four, five years of age. And all the older kids took everything, and we had, oh, and we had nothing. And uh, I ran into a little boy named Billy. He and I were the same age. We became fast friends, and I was delighted finally to have a plan. And we would we hang out in a chinaberry tree uh, that was about 50 feet tall. And the reason we used the chinaberry tree is the older kids were scared to come up in the top of the tree because they knew we were very strong from all that climbing we did. We'd throw them out of the tree. And so I finally got some some capability to, to protect and help ourselves. And then one day, the head master, uh, master came out into, onto the lawn where the parking area was. And Billy and I were sitting there at the base of the chinaberry tree. And this lady says to Billy, come with me, goes into the building and comes out about 30 minutes later with a lady, a man, a boy, and Billy. And I never saw my friend again. He disappeared. I was oh, all alone oh, in the chinaberry tree, oh. completely distraught. But finally waking up to the fact it wasn't going to happen. And so then, by the, it's an amazing, the same family, a year later, decided to give me the second try. And they asked if they can have me over the weekend. Uh -huh. And so I go to their house, and they cook rabbit. I remember that. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, I was up before anybody. And I was standing in front of a goldfish pond, which I'd never seen. I hadn't seen anything. All I saw was green and brown paint on the walls and picnic-style tables, a bunch of screaming kids on it at a commode. And nothing else that I ever seen. And so I am just absolutely mesmerized by the things I see in a house, out in the yard, or whatever it is. I've never seen it. And um, his, his son, his older son, comes out, walks over to the goldfish pond, grabs the goldfish and starts to squeeze the life out of it. I went ballistic. I had seen enough of people being crushed in the, in, in the, the orphanage, yeah. and it affected me big time. I shoved him into the pond, grabbed his head, and shoved it under the water. And then I felt something grab me by the nap of the neck, and it was the, his dad. Picked me up, took me to the car, dropped me into the car, took me back to the uh, orphanage, and uh, released me, and my first uh, effort to, to be domesticated outside the, uh, uh, the orphanage did not go well. Uh, uh, <laughs> so when when Dr. Peterson, uh, you know, comes up with the idea, we should we should write a book about these stories. I, you seem like a very the way the way uh, Dr. Peterson describes you is a very modest man. It must have been 
uh, I, I probably, was it the most comfortable experience saying, okay, I, I'm going to share my so many of my stories in my life to put it into a book? I had no problem at all sharing it. Um, it's an interesting story. You laugh a lot in it because I did a lot of crazy things. <laughs> it would be extraordinarily amazing for someone to take me on as an orphan if they had known me. Okay. Because and you're going to find out I, I have been doing some wild things in my life. <laughs> I just simply don't care. I've been swimming alligators when I was seven years old, not knowing they could eat you. And all kinds of crap that I've done. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so what what more can people expect when, when they, they buy this book? Uh, what are some other stories that, that you go into? Well, I think um, the big thing that they're going to learn is uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Outlier. And Barry Bridger is an outlier. When I read that book, I could tell that, as he says, there are a lot of crazy stories. But those stories teach us some great life lessons. How to overcome adversity. Faith. Uh, belief in your country that you will eventually get out of that torture. A lot of people died in those torture chambers. But Barry stuck with it and that same grit that you hear him talking about here got him through and so many people in america are not going to experience what he experienced they pulled his arms out of the sockets uh he uh they treated him pretty badly but he survived it and he came out and he's a very happy person today he is not uh, not uh, uh, upset with what happened to him. He just accepted it as a part of life. And so people are going to run into a lot of difficulty in their lives, but they can overcome it. And that the book will teach that. Well, it's, it's so easy for people today to be pessimistic about the country. Uh, you've been through a lot. But it doesn't—it doesn't sound like from what what Dr. Pearson has said that you are a, a pessimist. Do you look at America today and still feel optimistic about the future? It's troublesome and regretful to see America where it is today. From my eyes, I, I was the beneficiary of a family who had the ancestors of their ancestors, which they then passed on to me when I arrived. But let me tell you one short story to illustrate who the real heroes are in terms of what I came to be. When I arrived in the little town of Bladenboro, North Carolina, south of Durham, where I was in the orphanage, and that's about 100 miles to the north, um, my new mother sat me down, and she said, I want to, I want to tell you, Barry, how, how we do things in this little town and with our friends and neighbors. She said, in the, in the uh, orphanage, you developed into a me-first mentality because of survival instincts. And if you didn't fight, you didn't get anything. The old kids took everything. And you had Billy, and then you lost Billy, and then you had nothing. Well, she said, from now on in this family, you don't come first. 
You come last. And our neighbors come first. Our friends come first. People who meet us come first. And that's how we will live. And so faith and family and friends and service to others is all I think about. And I should. Well, I, I have to say, uh, unfortunately, as we get uh, you know younger and younger generations, to, to hear your story and to hear that you know how modest you are, I, I, it, that that seems like a thing of the past. Um, so so much of uh, everyone wants to put all their life on social media. The fact that you have been through so much and you're so modest about it, uh, it's, it's, it's just refreshing and uh, it's, it's an honor to, to meet you and, and, and I'm very thankful, Dr. Peterson, you, you came by to be able to talk, uh, to have us talk about the book. The book is called The Spirit to Soar, Inspiring Life Lessons and Values for a Victorious Life. Where can everyone find more on the book? Where can they get the book? You can get the book at any major bookseller and also on the website thespirittosoar.com, thespirittosoar.com. It's a great book, and one of the things that we found out, Fingers, is that uh, people buy the book, and then when they read the stories, they tend to buy it for their children, their grandchildren so they can see what it was like for somebody to defend their country and to give of themselves because they didn't know if they were ever coming back. And um, six and a half years is a long time to give up. In fact, uh, the way I say it, Barry's 82 now. He gave up about 10 to 15% of his life between the orphanage and being a POW. So it's a lot. The Spirit to Soar, Inspiring Life Lessons and Values for a Victorious Life. Dr. Jim Peterson, thank you so much for joining us. Lieutenant Colonel Barry Bridger, thank you so much for your service. It was an honor meeting you, and good luck to you both for the, uh, for the new book. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM's coverage of CPAC 2022 in Dallas. I'm Fingers Malloy, and uh, joining us right now at the Wham Talk table is Joe Henneman. His new documentary, The Real Story of January 6th, is now available. You can see it streaming at epictv.com. Joe, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, my first question to you is uh, I, I want to get into the day itself uh, a little bit later, but the people who are currently in jail. Uh, can you talk about the treatment that these, these prisoners are, are currently uh, going under? There, there's really two big issues at stake with, with what they call pretrial detainees. These are uh, primarily men, but uh, defendants who have been judged such a risk for either for flight or for committing violent crimes if they are released that a judge has deemed them uh, that they need to be incarcerated pending trial. Uh, that is supposed to be an unusual situation. People are presumed innocent, and only particularly egregious cases are supposed to be held until trial. But we have dozens and dozens, uh, I know there's more than 70 in, in the D.C. jail, and there's a half dozen other federal uh, institutions across the East Coast 
and some as far away as Oklahoma that are holding some of these fellows. Um, and especially in D.C., the reports that have come out from people who were released, but also direct communications from inside um, through tablets or cell phones that were slipped to some of these fellows, is that, that people had been tortured. I mean, straight up beaten, bloody. Uh, one, uh, one fellow who was, was released said that he was literally dropped on his head by two guards who picked him up. Uh, and cracked his head open, and also subjected to what you would call psychological torture. I mean, pick up your mattress, march you through the jail for an hour, and then you end up in a different cell, um, lights that they'll never turn off. It's the kind of stuff you do if you're trying to break somebody. And uh, these folks, as a, an act of resistance, started singing the national anthem every night at 9 o'clock. They still do it. They've been there for 18 months, uh, and some of them have been punished for doing that. They get put in the hole, which is solitary, uh, away from everybody else. And, and that is considered cruel and unusual punishment in most places. The United States used to be one of them, uh, but no longer. This is That's considered an act of defiance to sing the national anthem. It's, it's amazing to me, you know, you expect the bias in media. You, you you never would have expected, this goes well beyond uh, political bias to, you're, you're talking about basically torture of uh, people who don't identify with your politics, something you would never expect in the United States of America. I profiled one gentleman who was a career Navy man, 66 years old, he was being held in the Central Virginia jail uh, in pretrial detention, and he was subjected to anal cavity searches, sometimes multiple in a row. Uh, one instance, he was laid on his belly, they spread his legs, and from behind started kicking him in the genitals, and to the point he, he passed out. And that kind of treatment went on, uh, and they almost broke him. And his story is very. Uh, very inspiring in that he, he convinced the guard to give him a copy of the Bible. He had it on a reading cart, and he, he just said to him, hey, it's just the Bible. Of course, that, that hurt this man because he's, a, he's very devout, but he thought, well, maybe the, the guard will give it to me if I say it's just the Bible, and he did. And he was able to sustain himself until his attorney could go to court and argue that his treatment of him had put his life at risk. I mean, he was released, but he shared his story of torture. This is a man who served in Navy intelligence honorably for his entire career, and this is the treatment that he was subjected to. He got the SWAT treatment at, at 5 in the morning. Uh, he and his wife out on the porch in their underwear, choosing their nightgown. They get lit up with lasers and M4s. Uh, he gets dragged across the front lawn and thrown into the back of the vehicle. Uh, just shocking treatment. Uh, Joe, are you, are you hearing anything from these prisoners about some guards that are at least stepping back and knowing that this is wrong, or is this the whole system just completely coming down on these people? No, there, there are guards, we have, we've heard this in this section in our film, firsthand, that there are guards who, who say to these uh, defendants, you guys should not be here. 
we we don't agree with this. We don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So I think I think there are and maybe more than we even imagine uh, that don't support it. But you know, when the system is set up that way, speaking up can be a dangerous thing. Uh, and I think we may be seeing more of that as time is going on because. By the time some of these fellows come to trial, they will have been locked up for two years. It's just unreal. Uh, uh, Joe Hanneman is joining us. Uh, his documentary, The Real Story, January 6th, is now streaming on EpicTV.com. Uh, what would be some of the things that uh, people will see in this documentary that will surprise them that they haven't heard? Uh, on uh, about that day. Well, they will they will get good details on the four deaths that occurred that day. You often hear a lot of misinformation about the deaths. Uh, in fact, President Biden made a comment at a commencement, I think it was in May, that rioters killed two policemen that day. Well, no policeman died that day. One policeman died the next day from a stroke. But you know, the New York Times read a story that he was beaten with a fire extinguisher. They had to retract that story, but people still tell that tell that sure. tale. Uh, so you know, we, we look at all of the deaths. You know, Ashley Babbitt was, was shot and killed by a police lieutenant. Roseanne Boyland was, was trampled and beaten with a walking stick. And while she laid there in, in dire need of CPR and was not rendered assistance except by bystanders who pulled her away from the police line. People will find the body cam that we show very disturbing. It's heartbreaking, in fact, to, to hear uh, grown men who are, one guy was bleeding profusely from the head wound, and he's begging, please, help her, save her life. He was almost in tears, uh, begging the police, and not a one of them moved to, to, to render assistance. Yet when she got inside the building, uh, the FBI's had some special ops guys there SWAT, and they they took over and they immediately got defibrillator paddles. They did what you should do, the, the kind of care anyone should expect. Unfortunately, she was already dead. Uh, if she had gotten that care outside, we would not be having this discussion. Well, the. The documentary, The Real Story of January 6th, is uh, available on EpicTV.com. It says uh, here that it's also going to be available soon on DVD. Is that yes. correct? Yes, we're taking pre-orders right now for that. So, well, where can everyone find more information on the documentary? If you go to J6RealStory.com, uh, it's a landing page for the film. It's got all the background on it. You can order the, the DVDs there. And there are links to the various places to watch it. Joe Hanneman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. More coverage of CPAC Dallas 2022 on Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM, right after this. Conservatives who provide Content know the challenges of dealing with social media platforms. Uh, we could go on all day about that and have gone on all day about it, but there's a conservative browser that is out there that 
uh, is turning some heads. And Jeff Berman, uh, the CEO of Tusk, is joining us at the Wham Talk 1600 table in CPAC 2022. Jeff, welcome. Fingers, thank you. I appreciate being here. Well, tell me a little bit about Tusk. So, this is a. Uh, let me start with I got mad. And I got mad about uh, the internet and what was going on, and I happened to be a tech guy, and they're probably one of the few conservative tech guys. So um, I decided that it's time for our own browser, and eventually our own search engine. So I built the first conservative web browser that's out there. And why is it conservative? Well, because we give you news feed that's conservative, our links are all conservative, and you don't have to do anything to go find your news sources right there all for you well that sounds great i mean as, as someone who uh you know provides conservative content also i host uh a nationally syndicated show about cigars and bourbon we find that cigar content because it's tobacco is being uh, censored by by google and on social social media platforms like facebook they don't want to touch these things so it, it's 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 good to hear that there are people that are deciding that they are saying okay enough of the censorship we need to provide platforms for all people uh, but you know of course when when something like uh, this comes up when uh, you know we're talking about uh, a social media platform or a browser uh, inevitably someone will say well geez what about uh, content, you know, uh, there are a lot of kooks out there who may be threatening um, uh, people. How do you filter out that kind of content where there's like direct, you know, people that are you know, threatening people? Uh, is there a way that you do that? Yeah, we we, don't, we go with basically the national news sources. Uh, there's no real social interaction on the browser, so we don't worry about that. But when it comes to freedom, for instance, cigars, bourbon, we don't have an issue with that. We think that's up to the, just just as your browser should be and your search engine should be up to you, should be your choice. And unfortunately, what's happened is you don't have a choice. Your right. choice is, is liberal, left-leaning search and browsing, and I've, I've come to change that. That's our job. Uh, Jeff Bergman of uh, Tusk joins us here uh, on Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM. Now, now, Jeff, what's your background? What, what got you into this? So, uh, interesting. I was a real estate developer, uh, did flex space for many tech companies, in, basically in the Santa Barbara region in California. And uh, I got mad one day, another mad moment, and said, you know what? I'm tired of what's going on on the web. We built one of the first cloud browsers, which is now fairly common. Uh, and then decided that we wanted to help people. We built another browser which allows people to monetize their data so that they get paid for it. And then this was this is the finale, in my opinion. This is really what I wanted to do, was bring freedom, free speech onto the web. Uh, which you know, I applaud you for. Uh, I guess my, my, I don't want to sound too doomsday, but uh, as someone who has, been, has a tech background, how do you see the big boys playing out, say, five, ten years from now when it comes to censorship? How much worse can it can it possibly get, especially with, like, Google, for instance? You know, it, there's, there seems to be no, no limits to their, uh, to their desire to control what we see and what we hear. And occasionally they'll give you a tidbit of something. 
But in my world, if you want to see the Daily Wire, you want to see AON, you want to see Breitbart, you should be able to go read those and not have to go hunt for them. Absolutely. And uh, I don't think they can stop us. Maybe they can, but you can count on me to fight for our freedom. Have they tried to? How, how no. can they stop you? They really can't. I mean, okay, I, you good. know, we're not going to, we're not going to, if somebody's, if we're on AWS and uh, somebody says, you know, we're going to block you, we're going to somewhere else. We'll yeah. go overseas if we have to. We will not, we will not be taken down. I'm on your website right now, uh, looking over some of the things. Tuskbrowser.com is where you can find more about Tusk. Uh, so I, one of the things I'm sure uh, everyone will, will want to know when they get on the site, uh, search engine, uh, it, it looks like that's around the corner for yeah, you? Yeah, search engine. We, we have our first phase of search engine coming up in the next month. Um, but to really to get it, so the search that you want, we're going to have to build our own. There's no way around it. All the, all the search engines today are to the left. Yeah. Uh, so that's our job. Our job is to get enough enough money and enough interested parties to go build them. Now, how long have you been in the tech industry? 12 years. I'm sure 12 years ago you could probably see this coming, but was it was it Trump and uh, his his candidacy and his presidency that really throttled some of uh, Google's intentions to be able to uh, manipulate? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, absolutely. The phenomenon of Trump and, and the way they treated Trump is despicable. Uh, it's just despicable. I, I can't imagine treating people like that, making up stories uh, about him. Uh, I did, I, it's not America. It's not how we treat people. And, and so that's part of the reason why I built it. As I said, my, my, the reason I built it was I really got mad over the Biden laptop story where they censored that. And it could have changed the election. It could have made the election so Trump won and, and they buried it. And I was like, okay, not, never again. It's, it's so frustrating uh, as someone who provides conservative content to people to see, you know, uh, many of us built our audience based on Twitter and Facebook and to see what they did with that story to the New York Post, uh, especially as a preacher of Twitter, to see them completely block that was uh, remarkably frustrating and it's uh, a breath of fresh air to hear that there are people like you out there that are, are fighting the good fight. Jeff Berman of the CEO of Tusk. Check out Tusk over at their website, tuskbrowser.com. Uh, anywhere else where they can find they can more get information. It, uh, they can get it at, at the Apple Store now, and they can download it's mobile, and they can also get it on Android. So we've got all the platforms covered, easy to use, fun to use, and just know you're, you're supporting conservatives, and we're going to build off of that and, and make this into a real brand that everybody knows. Jeff Berman. You got to check it out, gang. Tuskbrowser.com. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Welcome back to Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM's coverage of CPAC Dallas 2022. I'm Fingers Malloy, and joining us right now at the Wham Talk table is Bianca Gracia. Did I? You said it perfect. Bianca Gracia. She is one of the founders of Latinos for Trump. Yes. Welcome to Wham Talk 1600 AM. Well, thank you very much. Yes, one of the uh, co-founders of Latinos for Trump. Um, back when the movement started in 2016, and we actually organized and uh, actually became an organization in 2018. And then 
now post uh, Trump, we are Latinos for America First. So I founded Latinos for America First. Okay, because I was I was about to ask you. I, I mean, the, the the sense is, of course, that he's probably going to run again. But uh, if he doesn't, or at some point he is going to step off the political stage, what is the next step for for your organization? So we're going to continue with Latinos for America First because we think that that's what um, it's. What people don't understand is that it wasn't about Trump. It was about what he birthed, the movement, the conservative movement. Um, he really has been, because he was a non-politician, he really has been someone who has been able to message to our community. So I think he's managed to wake up, not just America, but wake up even the um, minority groups, especially the Latinos. So um, we had a lot of challenges in 2016. They, you know, The media was like, oh, that no one likes him. He offended everybody, but he didn't. And he was speaking the truth, and that's what you know had us gravitate to him. So we were very supportive from the very beginning. Um, but it was because of the policies. It was because of his his policy on national security. We understand. We're in Texas. I live. I come from South Texas. We understand the things that are happening in South Texas. We understand the drug cartels. We understand what's coming across the border. We understand that there's bad people across the border. Did he say it correctly? No. He, he may have not said but that's the point. He wasn't politically correct. But he did, if you know the communities and you know South Texas, he wasn't lying. So um, anyway, that's that's really what, what, what got us really involved and it was basically the policies. It was very profane. As you saw, he, you know, he was surrounded himself with a lot of pastors and evangelicals. They were in and out of the White House. I actually did eight White House tours with uh, pastors, taking them in and out of the White House so that they could get faith briefings and go back to the community and let them know what was going on when it came to abortion issues, life issues. Um, you know, Latinas were the fastest growing uh, small business during Trump administration and they were debt free. So we were able to, uh, you know, uh, open businesses, grow businesses, hire people. We were able to employ people. That's really what the Hispanic community understands. We understand, you know, again, pro-God, pro-family, pro-job, you know, pro-freedom. And uh, and that's really how it all started. So that's what we've been doing is we, we really focus more on education. So even though that we do help candidates, but we really do focus on it. It's more of the education than policy. Okay. Uh, I'd like to go back to illegal immigration for, for just a moment because, you know, we're... we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, the media does a horrible job of reporting what's going on at the border mm -hmm. uh, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, can you paint a picture for people in Michigan what daily life is like for uh, Americans in border towns? We'll, we'll just stick with Texas. Right. You're living on a Texas border town some of the things that Americans uh, in those towns have to deal with? So, um, they have to deal, deal with a lot of homelessness now. Uh, the schools are, you know, inundated with having to take the illegal children in. There's just not enough resources. Um, you know, you have to now start teaching in Spanish because, you know, they don't understand English. Um, the hospitals, there's a lot of they really inundate our hospitals. So Americans start taking a back burner to the education and to the hospital system, the medical system. What people don't understand is they also don't understand that there is a 
uh, drug problem. And fentanyl is probably the one thing that everybody is worried about right now. I have almost every week or every other day, someone tells me I was at a funeral, someone's kid, someone's loved one has passed away from the fentanyl. It's everywhere. People don't understand that. People have always told me, Bianca, why are you not compassionate to these illegals? Why is it that you make such a big deal about the illegal immigration? Because what we're not talking about is the children and the women that are being raped to get here. Some of them are being raped 18 to 20 times just in a voyage here. That's disgusting. Where's the compassion for those women? Where's the compassion for the children? We actually, um, I have a friend, who Anthony Aguero, who was always Border Network News. He's always on the border. He did an interview one time, and uh, and he it was a it was a female. She was coming across with three children. These are the realities of what's happening. He said um, he, he questioned her. He said, you know, um, what was the most difficult thing coming here? What, what was the most difficult thing? And she said. She was very hesitant to talk at first, but he kind of, you know, befriended her, made her feel comfortable. And he said, you know, you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to. And she's like, she would look around, you know, her surroundings because she was afraid. And uh, anyway, then she kind of did open up and she told him, she said, the most difficult thing I had to deal with coming across is every night as I slept, you know, they would just basically... Um, brush out in the open wherever it was they had to find somewhere to sit. she said that she would have to move away from the caravan and, and she said I would there was three little children she would lay them down and then she would sleep over them oh. so she would hover like like an animal think about it you yeah. know like like a, a, a lion or lioness right. right that lays over her cubs that's what she described that she had to literally lay over them and, and, and he said why did you have to do that she said because um, the coyotes, the cartels, you know, um, you know, they, they come after the children. And she said, and all night I'd have to hear little kids screaming because they were getting raped over and over. And she said, and I could hear the little girls screaming. Um, and she said, and I didn't want that to happen, my little girl. So she would lay over her kids every night in fear. And so those are the realities that, you know, the news, the mainstream media, and even just maybe even some other media isn't going to tell you right and and so those are the realities of what's happening this is not a one incident this is happening every day pretty much all day as these people are crossing over they are now they're, they're not you know that people say oh well you know poor people they're just coming here for a job yeah but because we don't have a better process for them to come here for a job now what they have become is victims and they're being exploited and sold into human trafficking. What people don't also realize is that every single, last year in August, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's a year, it's gonna, what, it's a year now, it's a year now. Last year in August, it's one year, that Border Patrol told me, we have lost all control of the border, okay? So I said, what do you, what does that mean? They said, well, we don't, we don't, we we don't, have control of the border. I mean, it's that simple. Okay. Um, they said, so basically anyone who crosses, and this is, this was already happening, but this is now at a massive scale. Anyone coming across the border has to have permission from the cartel to cross. The cartel is in full control of our Texas border. I said, excuse me. He said, nobody crosses without paying to the Mexican, to the cartels 
the money. And and if you're if you're from Mexico, it's five to seven thousand. Now you know those people are poor. They can't. What, right. it's, it's five seven thousand per head. Um, if you're from further south, it's it's the money starts increasing. If you're from overseas, it's about twenty five thirty thousand. So, what happens? You don't have that money. Guess what? You're now sold into a cartel leader. They band you up. So when you cross the border, you are identified to what cartel leader you belong to. Once that they know, they route you. It's a, it's a very organized system. They route you and they take you to the cities, Michigan, New York. And this is not a Texas problem. This is a United States problem. Yes. They're going into your community and before people wake up and before they realize it's going to be too late, they're being sent there and they're being trafficked. They have to pay off the debt. They now either have to push drugs, they have to work at a nail salon, massage location, uh, they might have to be prostituted out. The reality is they will never pay off their debt. They never pay off their debt. So my husband works, um, he's a sergeant with police, and he's over human trafficking task force. I hear the stories all the time, we're further in from the border. So what I'm telling you that happens at the border is happening in one of the hubs here in Texas. So it's a reality of what's happening. And these people says these people are never going to get out of bondage. And and what happens is you think you're paying off your debt, but what happens is and if you try to run from them, guess what? Before you even crossed, they already know your family, they know what village you're from, they know so what they do is they say, if you don't pay this debt or if you try to run off, it now puts your whole family, wherever you came from, in jeopardy. And they don't have any morals, ethics, they have no compassion, they don't care. They will murder you in a heartbeat. They have no feeling, no remorse, no soul. So they will go and murder and then it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to live with it. The person over here sold into bondage is going to have to live with that because they either try to escape they're there it, it's a it is a horrific thing in what's happening at the border and it's and it's been happening but when Biden took over it they, they the border patrol agents knew what was coming they said they knew what was coming when when this happened but now as this progressed and now we're two years in they to them they have said, We've never seen anything like this. I I question what it's even like to try to recruit new Border Patrol agents. Because there has to be a sense of what's the point. I, I, they're, they're, Their turnaround I rate is, is um, very high. Morale is low. Um, believe it or not, they're, right now I just saw an ad. It said 10000 bonus to sign on. What I think, honestly, is happening, because I, I, I can't say this, this is my opinion, this is not, nobody gave me this, I'm I'm watching, looking, reading, I see that they're graduating new cadets that go into, and they're young kids, I think it's the kids that are already indoctrinated with a social, they're like social justice warriors, yes. and what they're doing is recruiting them to be the social justice warriors to help these people, because they're very poor, you know? And so now it becomes a not a national security issue. It's not a protect the border. It is now you're just a processing babysitter. I have to wonder. You, you, you know, you, 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 
you're indoctrinated with this in, in, in public schools or if you went through college and you went to university, this is that type of woke mentality is pounded into you. But once it's one thing to talk about it in a classroom. It's another thing when cold reality slaps you in the face. Yep. I, I, I would want. I wonder how this will all play out with this this new generation of border patrol agents. If they have that mentality going in, but then they see how the cartels are behaving, if there'll be a, a, a change of attitude, <laughs> what, what'll, what'll change is when they get shot at by the cartel, oh, when they get too. robbed. Yeah. You know, because you don't need a gun. There has been border patrol agents that have been killed by rocks. Yeah. They get rocked, stoned to death. Um, you know, and, and the, the thing is, once you have surrendered your border to the cartels, <laughs> good luck trying to get it back. Because what's going to happen is now the cartels, they're so sophisticated and organized, they now know... Even if you think that they can get intel on the people coming across, they have intel on the Border Patrol agents. And now they know where the Border Patrol agent lives, where the Border Patrol agent goes to church, where the uh, kids go to school. They are a target now. So what, what this administration has done is put a target on their back. So they're now prone to being bribed, look the other way, or else your family or you will be dead. So that is what we this administration has done to the border patrol agents. So it sounds like it's create it's 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 such a mess that it, it, this is it, it probably will never happen or could happen, but it sounds like the only way that it could possibly be cleaned up is there was actually some sort of military action down at the Well, our um, good for nothing governor here has been all about optics. He declared, you know, that oh, he did Operation Lone Star. You can talk to the National Guard. They told there, there's, you know, there's whistleblowers from the National Guard saying this was a waste of money. Um, first of all, they sent him down there to babysit, and they basically told the cartel. I'm, I'm sorry, our National Guard, you're to assist them as we're coming across, and then you turn them over to Border Patrol. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were supposed to be guarding, right. so that they didn't come over. So it was a big joke. They didn't allow them to have actual bullets. They had to have rubber bullets or no bullet at all. They didn't want a national security incident and then be told that they, oh my goodness, you murdered an innocent person. And then it's all but over however, CNN. However, if you talk to ranchers and some of our farmers, they're in fear. They're, they're having to do repairs on their um, fences. Their houses are getting broken into. Uh, they're, they're, even some of our Americans... These illegals are coming in and they're raping women while they're home alone. You don't hear about it on the news, but it's happening. You you also have the, the cars, the car theft has gone up tremendously. If you have a truck here anywhere in the south, you know, you almost have to like really lock it up because they will they will steal it. And they go and they and, and one of the other things that the, the cartels also started to do that people don't realize is that they you they're using social media to uh, communicate with some of our youth that are in high school. And what the cartel's doing is saying, hey, I'll pay you three to $5,000 to come down to the border, pick up five people, and drive them back to wherever. I mean, we could, we could talk about this for another half an hour, but I know you have other things to do. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we need to wrap this up. But Bianca, gracias. So uh, yes. for Latinos for America First. Yes, so we can be found on latinosforamericafirst.com. 
You can also follow me on any social media at Bianca for Texas, F-O-R, Texas. Um, I'm on all social medias. And then um, I also started a new a new movement within my new job is uh, We Are United, which is Estamos Unidos, which you can find on weareunited.tap on any social media as well. Tap for the America Project, so it's tap at the end. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you.